Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon, whatever part of the world you are tuned in from. This is Funny Like a Clown Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Worth. June 22nd, 2021. This is episode 114. As always, today's episode is brought to you today by G Vegas Buffalo Sauce. For the spicy, sweet, savory taste of game time, there is only one G Vegas available at www.gvegas.webs.com. Go there, get it shipped right to your house. All right. We do comedy here, and uh, on the phone, I have a comic who has been called the wise old man of comedy. Uh, he was one of the oldest members of the Texas Outlaw Comics, a very special time in comedy history, and we're doing the history of comedy here, so we're about to hear all about it. Andy Huggins, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dennis. Well, thank you so much for being on. Um, I guess we got to start somewhere, so let's start at the beginning. Uh, how did you get in the comedy business? What gave you the itch to be a comedian? Well, I feel like I was born to do stand-up. I have always, from a uh, very young age, like seven, eight years old, was fascinated by comedy. Sitcoms, the comics that would appear on Ed Sullivan, that's how far back I go. That's the only <laughs> place you can see right. stand-up comic was on Ed Sullivan. I just was just fascinated about it, uh, by it. And over the years, uh, you know... Back then, and then into my teens and 20s even, there wasn't any place to go learn to do stand-up like we have now. No open mic. I was living uh, in, uh, in, in, in my 20s. I was living in Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia. There's no place to go do stand-up. Right. So I'm just kind of biding my time for a while. I thought, well, maybe I'll be a, uh, maybe I'll write. I would come up with sketch ideas and send them off to Steve Allen or send them, send them off to, actually I sent one off to, uh, oh, what was his partner? Al Franken's partner, Tom Davis, sent uh, some sketches off to him, but I had no idea of performing, first of all, because it was uh, an intimidating thought, and right. second, I didn't know where to learn how to do it. Well, uh, what happened was, and I guess 1977, when I was 27 years old, I'd been talking, talking, talking about comedy. And a friend of mine in Charlottesville, Virginia, said, I'm tired of hearing you talk about it. We're going to get you to perform someplace. And it was a coffee house uh, at a restaurant in town Charlottesville. And they would have folk singers. So my friend Bill got me a, uh, got the folk singer to let me go up and do uh uh, uh, five minutes between his sets, and I probably did a half a dozen of those and decided I knew everything. And How did you do? Did you do good just starting off? No, I can't imagine. <laughs> My memory is it was awful. Right. It was awful. What I wrote at the beginning was topical to, uh, material. I still don't write very good topical material. It's just always too heavy-handed. Right. Uh, uh, you know, it has an opinion, but it's was never it was more opinionated than it was funny but whatever reason it just felt, it felt 
and jokes with strangers. So, at that point, what do you do? Well, you go to New York or you go to Los Angeles. Uh, I had been hearing on the Tonight Show, among other places, about the comedy store. Whenever they had a uh, comic on, they would always mention that he or she is performing at the comedy store, right. performs here regularly. But I figured, well, I'll go out there and uh, I'll uh, go to uh, Los Angeles. I'll go to their open mic and we'll see what happens. Uh, basically, I have to stand up because I'm, I'm supposed to be a stand-up. I know it sounds kind of melodramatic right. or, or romantic to say so, but I, I really feel like I figured it out. It's what you no were born to do, right? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know about what era I was born in or what city I was living in or the state of stand-up at the time. I was going to be a stand-up comic, which is... Uh, well, you brought up a good point, but the kids nowadays with the internet, you can be a star from any local town you want to, but back then, you had to sell the sell the TV, sell the house, sell everything, hop in your car, and move to L.A. or New York to really, if you really wanted to go for it, right? Oh, yeah, and uh, Dennis, I tell you what, I get the shakes when I... Think about it, uh, these 40 years later, because I had what I thought was a lot of money. The figure that sticks in my mind is uh, $900, but I didn't last any <laughs> time at all. And I flew out there, yeah. not knowing anybody, literally not knowing anybody, having no contacts at all. Uh, I didn't know anybody who knew somebody. I had no plan other than I was going to go by the comedy store on a Monday night. It's insane. I mean, hanging out with these, I mean, you didn't know then they were going to go on to be the legends, the Bill Hicks and the Sam Kennisons, but what was it like for you back then? of 
was, are still these 40 years later friends. I talked to Jimmy earlier today. We've been best friends for uh, 40 plus years, and and really? so many of those guys I'm still in. What was it about? Maybe three or four weeks ago, about a dozen of us got together for dinner. All comedy workshop people got together for uh, a reunion. Dinner, yeah. And, yeah, and chewed, chewed the fat, chewed some barbecue. That's always so fun. Oh, yeah, it was great. It was great. Well, now, the rumor was when you guys started, you wanted to put together a group of comics that would not sell out and you'd speak your mind where, you know, if you work clean in comedy, you always work. It's a lot easier to get paid. If you don't work clean, you have a lot of fun, but it's not always the big payday. But now I know back then you could pretty much say whatever you wanted and nobody got offended, where nowadays everybody gets offended by everything. Have you found over the years you've had to sell out a little bit to fit the, the day and age, or do you still just speak your mind? that's a long time so you've seen it all what do you think what has changed over the years in comedy for you from when you started to comedy now what's changed what's the biggest change Thank you. 
somebody though i mean everybody's triggered by something well, intending it to be a joke, wouldn't it be not offensive? Or if you're intending to be offensive, it would be. And both sides will have a voting reaction too. 
I mean, you know, there are people who, let's say, if you just continue on the same example, that if you just mention Chinese people in the show, they automatically assume you're making Right, making fun of them. Okay. Yeah. No, 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 listen to the joke. Who does the joke land on? But they'll overreact and immediately uh, go on the offensive. Right. And on the other hand, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh, comics will defend the joke just that uh, it's just absolutely horrendous. Right. And, uh, sure. But they, they, they overreact. So it's a, it's an interesting. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, in a sense, I can talk about all this from a theoretical point of view, because as it happens, and it's not my design, it's just how my mind and my comedic sensibilities work. I don't get anywhere near topics that are going to offend anybody. Yeah, the trigger-happy uh, comedy topics, right? Yeah, I, I, I just don't. So I can talk about what uh, this comic did and didn't do and what this uh, audience member did or didn't do. It's all theoretical to me, because it, it Right, right. Okay, so, so the times change, and you changed with them. So your buddies asked you to come down to Texas. It was what the comedy workshop, right? That's what a it's a liquor store now, but that's where you guys were at, right? Yeah, comedy uh, workshop, San Felipe and Shepherd. It's now a liquor store, which is appropriate and uh, <laughs> it's so almost tribute to what you guys did, right? Yeah. So what happened for you when you got to Texas? Do you? I mean, you were working regularly. It was a lot more work. So what happened uh, after that? Well, I just worked a lot. Uh, uh, you know, I, I was a, uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Uh, but at the time, up until 1988, I was a practicing alcoholic. And okay. so, you know, right, and because of that, life was a little rough uh, financially at times just because I was completely irresponsible as a uh, as a uh, well, when you're constantly uh, performing where there's alcohol it's tough to stay away from it right <laughs> well, it, well, it, well it was easy it was easy to say yes to it right. so uh it's available uh, and, but you know it came a time uh, in 1988 i quit drinking and took some time off from stand-up and you know got back into it and, uh, uh learned how to say no I'm sorry? You learned how to say no? Yeah, I, I learned how I just woke up one morning and said, I can't do this anymore. Right. I can't do it anymore. So uh, I did learn to say no. Sick and tired of feeling sick I, and tired, right? <laughs> yeah. And I tell you what, the first time you say no, the second time is even easier. Yeah. Uh, so it, it really didn't prove, once I made the commitment, it didn't prove to be happily a day-to-day -day battle right so i know you i mean you, you talked about how you started out you wanted to try comedy and it was a big risk and i guess uh i don't know if it was the high point of your career or not but you were on national tv season 13 of america's got talent tell us about that experience oh that was a lot of fun that one of the producers saw a tape of me on the internet and a portion of the act he saw i was doing jokes about women and relationships and sex and he thought it was funny the fact that at the time I was 68 years old and looked every bit 68 right. so uh, they uh, they uh, uh, decided that there's a whole vetting process that you 
that you go through, I was kind of surprised. They picked me only because my backstory at that time was kind of boring. In fact, definitely boring. I had two hour-long conversations with the producer, and at the end of it, uh, you know, I was very transparent and honest, and I hung up thinking, well, they're not going to choose me. Because the backstory is very important. To oh, yeah, like they're looking for characters, yeah. Yeah, they want... They want uh, they want an interesting story. Not just that, you know, the most interesting thing about me at the, at then and now is the fact that, you know, I, uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic. But Jesus, I, got, I recovered from alcohol 30 years ago. That's no longer yeah. as interesting as it might have been 30 days ago. Yeah, if you were, but if you was... for whatever reason, they, they liked it. Yeah. Flew me out there, and it was a it was a great uh, experience. It was very interesting to watch the show in motion, all the different acts that were around, and you know some acts had thirty people in them, and uh, all just all different kinds of uh, you know they're at different points in the process. So uh, yeah, I went out there and uh, uh, was as calm. I was going to say, I watched the clip. You didn't seem nervous at all. You were, I mean, for national TV, you you were very, you had your presence straight, yeah. Yeah, my, my, one of my sisters was absolutely amazed by that. She com commented on that several times. I did several other friends. And for whatever reason, it just felt comfortable. Mm. Now, I don't watch that tape, except for what I will watch from time to time, uh, just to try and replicate the feeling. There's a moment when I'm introduced and I walk up to the microphone and I'm starting to take the mic out of the stand and I just have such a calm, uh, uh, happy face, uh, smile. Yeah. Uh, well, that's how you have to feel. I tell myself, that's how you have to feel every time you go on stage, no matter where you are. You need that smile. And yeah. I try to duplicate that. But yeah, I don't, you know, one, uh, I know one reason I, Right before I went on stage, I was talking baseball with one of the producers. Uh, the, uh, and, and, you know, that just kind of distracted me and probably relaxed me a little bit. But we just sit there talking, talking ball. So that helped. But, um, yeah, it just, I don't know. Maybe it was just that I was right where I was supposed to be. And that's got to be a, mm. a, a comfortable feeling for anybody when they're exactly where they're what supposed, supposed to be doing to exactly. Yeah what they're supposed to be doing. So how far did you make it? How far did you make it? And how did you eventually get caught? Or what, what was the story behind that? Well, it was a little confusing to me and other people. Um, the first round, the judges vote on you. There are four of them. And I got the uh, three votes, which is what you needed to advance. Uh, the Spice Girl Mel B evidently was puzzled by <laughs> some of my jokes. I don't right. know what the hell. But anyway, so the, that's the first round. So I passed the first round. The second round is like an invisible round, and I didn't know what was going on. I never read the rules. I, I assumed that since I passed the first round, I'd be performing again. But what happens is, at the second round, all the producers get together, and they sign, they decide when you would perform a second time. So I got to the second round. I was led to believe by the producer that worked with me personally that I was to advance to the third round, but as it happens, I did. So mm. as far as the second round, one more, one more, uh, one more shot on TV would have been great. Just right. for, 
bookies and money uh, purposes. But the, the one time was great. The one time was great. The politics of the business right there. you gotta, you got to pay tribute to the politics. You never know what's going to happen, right? I, I would love to sit down with him and not in any sort of a, uh, argumentative uh, uh, mood. Right. But I would like to well, what was the process? What were y'all talking about? Yeah, what was the logic of it? There? Yeah, I mean, if, yeah, if you get past, you, you know, think you got to... The logic could be, uh, we didn't like the way you part your hair. Well, can't argue with that. Right. And so I just would, I would be curious as to what the, the process was and how many producers uh, were in on the final decision. And, and so, but, you know, it shows us that anything, uh, anything is possible. Anything can happen, that's for sure. Okay, so who are, you mentioned you watched the Ed Sullivan show and stuff, but I mean, who are some of the comics that inspired you as a kid? Were there any mainstream comics you really looked up to? certainly a high point of your career being on national TV, but you've rubbed elbows with some big ones. I mean, uh, you opened for Ray Charles. You were a writer for Billy Crystal in the Academy Awards. I mean, what got you into the writing part of the aspect of the business? Well, as far as uh, uh, one year, I came up with a, a joke. Uh, and at the time, I was living in Los Angeles. At the time, several, uh, several uh, uh, late-night shows would accept jokes from outside contributors via the fax machine. Remember those? Yeah. So I I uh, came up with a joke. Uh, I faxed it into Dennis Miller, never heard back. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, 
said, do you want to send this to Robert Wool? Now, I knew Robert from the stand-up world, uh, and he was one of the Crystal Flyers. So I sent him the joke, and uh, he liked it, used it. So, uh, and, then, and then the next year, I sent a message to Robert saying, do you mind if I send in a couple more? He said, no, not at all. So I sent in a couple more. He used a couple more. So when you said I wrote for Billy Crystal, that's how it went. Do you remember what the joke was? Do you remember what the joke was, the original one you sent in? Uh, uh, oh, yeah. The first joke was the year, and this is how far back we go, early 90s. But it was the year that JFK was nominated for Best Picture. Right. And uh, the joke was... Uh, I don't want to say uh, I don't want to say Oliver Stone is paranoid, but his next film is going to be The Men Who Shot Liberty Ballant, uh, <laughs> and it got a big laugh for the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In fact, it was quoted in the New York Times as one of the the better lines. And then, uh, oh, the next year was the Crying Game. I don't know if you know the Crying Game, but. Uh, uh, don't ring a bell. Huh? A, well, there's a big twist, and uh, and my joke was, uh, Crystal said he was surprised by. He said, "Don't tell me white men can't jump," and which uh, was another picture out that year. But yeah. uh, Woody Harrelson, uh, I remember that movie. Yeah, I watched that. It was a good movie, actually. Yeah, white men can't jump was yeah. uh, Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. The crying game was Stephen Ray and Jay Davidson and. It's a British film, right. very popular, and it had a, a tremendous plot twist right in the middle of it that startled everybody, and that's what I was referring to. Huh. So, um, you know, in, in addition to being a writer, I'm sure you helped out a lot of the young comics of the time. I know you, you've been given credit for developing Bill Hicks, and a, I'm from Boston, so a Boston guy, Jay Leno, but well, what did you do to help yeah. those guys out? What advice did you give them to help them with their careers? Uh, person in the the group that everybody would look to you for advice because you were probably the oldest member of the group yeah uh, yeah ron ron shock was probably a little bit older than me yeah. um uh but yeah i you know arguably people ask me uh for ask me for some advice and i might have asked jimmy for some advice and jimmy might have asked bill for some advice so it was that type of group but anything specific to bill i can't I, I could probably just keep my mouth shut and accept the uh, right, except the praise. There you go. The compliment. I mean, did you see Bill? Did he come off that he seemed funnier than the rest of them, or was he just right place, right time, and it took off for him? Or oh no, Bill. Bill was. Bill was. I don't know, funnier than or funny as or not. He was very, very funny right. from a very, very young age. Everybody at the comedy workshop where he started loved Bill. Uh, and everybody knew he was going to be uh, a very popular and successful comic. So he, was he, was, he was that good. Right. Yeah, he was that good. He was that good. <laughs> All right, so are there any young comics out there today that you admire you think uh, you know, people should check out? Or 
Who do you have any young comics that you admire on the scene? Well, let me mention three that okay. come to mind real quick here in uh, Houston. I don't. None of them have done any TV yet, but they're all three very good. All three uh, uh, very different from each other. But that would be a, a gentleman by the name of Trey Tuxen, another okay. uh, comic by the name of Victor Tran, and then uh, Grady Pruitt. Okay. They just—they're serious about it, and they're very funny, and they work hard at it. And you know, hopefully, with a break here and a break there, uh, 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 something will happen you, for you them. Right? Be, yeah, yeah, you will be. And I'm sure you could. I, I think they're all three probably somewhere on YouTube. But yeah, they, they work hard at it. They're—they're they're going to be good. Everybody likes. Everybody likes those three guys, okay. and there are others as well. Pretty active scene here. In, Houston. So what do you think you did to help out Jay Leno? I mentioned him too. That I mean, how were you friends with Jay? I, I didn't. Somebody wrote that in a. Uh, oh. I think it was a Chicago publication. Oh, that's how rumors get started. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I said to Jay, he used a handful of them one time. I didn't. I had no effect on Jay's career. Right. We probably we were probably in each other's company maybe twice talking. Otherwise, we communicated through his writing staff, through a fax machine. So, I don't know. I think I remember, I had to track that down one day. Where did that idea come from? And I found out the writer. Somebody says something and gets carried away, right? Yeah, I don't, who knows? Who All knows? right, so. So far off. But, All right, uh, but what over no, 40 years in the business, I mean, that's a long time to do anything. I mean, like you said, if it's in your blood and you love it, but comedy's a tough business. I mean, it's cutthroat. It'll kick you down. I mean, what's what's kept you going these 40 years? Is it just your love, or have you ever got discouraged and thought about quitting, or what keeps you going? Well, uh, yeah, I, I tell you, everybody, probably everybody, uh, every comic thinks about quitting every other month. Hold on a second, Dan. Yep. <sighs> Had to take a sip. All right. Uh, uh, what keeps me going is being good at it, quite frankly. You know, like last night, I went on at an open mic and tried out about four or five lines. Most of them weren't. That is such a joy, such a pleasure, such a delight. That keeps me going. Being good at it keeps me going. Right. You get a laugh, it's a rush, right? You can't wait to get the second laugh after you get the first one. It's such a rush yeah. being up there, right? Right. Hmm. 40 years is a long time to do anything. All right. So in your 40 years, uh, we get a lot of young comics who tune in Funny Like Clown podcast. So if you had some advice for the young comics, what, what advice would you give the young comics coming up? They sat down next to you uh, and said, I want to I want to make it in this business. What does it take? What would you tell them? If you're meant to be a comic, if you think funny, then here's what you ought to do. You ought to direct your instinct to the audience. Do what you think is funny. Keep what the audience thinks is funny. And in order to do that, write every day, get on stage as often as you can. Okay. And then the audience will guide you uh, 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 through the through the jungle. And, I, and I'm speaking to somebody who only wants to get laughs. I'm, I'm not I'm not interested in, in being uh, edgy. I'm not interested in giving people advice or lecturing or uh, uh, commentating on different events. I just want to get laughs. So if that's what you want to do, do what you think is funny, 
then keep what the audience thinks is funny. Respect the audience. audience The audience will tell you everything you want to know. Okay. That's good advice. All right. So um, now how did Sam Kennison fit into the whole Texas outlaw thing? I didn't know Sam that well. I didn't know Sam that well. Because he came in later on, right? Texas Outlaws of Comics, so I guess Ron Schock had to patent the Texas Outlaw comedy name because Sam was going to try to use it. I mean, was that a riff between you guys or anything? Or No, no. Here's what happened. Maybe early 80s, uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve Epstein, who is a comic, organized and produced a show that Bill, Carlebo, Sam Kinison, and Robbie Barber performed at the theater here in Houston. It was to finance their uh, 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 trip. They were all four going to move to Los Angeles, yeah. and this was to finance their trip. Well, the the show was a huge bust. It didn't make any money. Uh, in fact, Epstein lost money, but the guy still came out to Los Angeles. And somewhere, maybe, I don't know, 84, 85, Epi, Epstein uh, decided he, wanna, he wanted to create a new group of comics and Abby said, Well, you know, uh uh I financed that show. Uh I lost money on that show, so I'm entitled to the name. I think uh the name of the show was Outlaw uh, Comics on the Lamb or something. But anyway, Abby came out with Texas Outlaw Comics. He reconstituted the group with about six other six of us I think. And uh and then, you know, Sam wanted to put together a uh, uh, a group out in Los Angeles called Texas Outlaw Comics. Nobody had any problem with that. Right. Ron didn't object. Abby didn't object. Nobody objected. Okay, so there were there were many Texas Outlaw Comics then. We, we were like the uh, the Platters back in the 1950s. At any <laughs> given moment, there were four different groups. Right, right. Okay, I get what you're The Platters right. performing. All right. Well, you mentioned, and I did want to ask you about this. You mentioned Carl Lebeau, who was a friend of mine who recently passed away. So I wanted to pay tribute to him because comedy lost a great comedian, but they, you know, the world lost a better man. Carl was a great guy, but what were your interactions oh, with Carl? Uh, Carl, I'm not real sure that if you took a vote among the workshop comics, everybody loved Sam's act. I think Carl was the more popular act. I think the guys like Carl like better than I've heard Sam. that when beginning he was funnier than Sam. Yeah, he was the funnier of the two at the beginning, right? stories you got a Carl from back in the day? No. Nope. No. Nope. Nope. They're probably some funny stories to tell, but I 
was a blackout drunk, so I don't. Uh, oh, so you, don't, you don't remember him? Yeah, right? You were having too good of a time, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, well, you mentioned all the big names you've rubbed elbows with. You rubbed elbows with says Steve Martin and Robin Williams. What were your interactions with those? Those are some big names and legends, right there. But what interactions did you have with them? With who? Steve Martin and Robin Williams. Tough, tough to follow those acts, I guess, right? I'm sorry? Oh, it's it's tough to follow those acts out of magic. You know? I mean, what can you do? I, I went up after Steve Martin, and I made some reference to the fact that this unknown comic was following I got a big laugh with the, with the situ, with the joke about the situation, but after that, I died. Okay. I wish so, I could remember the joke. I don't, but I got a big laugh, and that was it. All right, so 40 years in comedy, I asked you if you ever, you know, got discouraged or anything, but it said you took a break from comedy to try acting for a while. I know you were in the movies uh, Coming Out and American, the Bill Hicks story, but how did the acting thing go for you? It was fun. I, I was very much connected to a particular uh, community theater company on stage here in Houston. I just did a lot of acting. It was fun. I wrote a couple of children's plays that they uh, produced. What it made you leave fun. acting and go back to comedy? Why wasn't it for you? Why did you choose comedy over acting? One day the thought popped into my mind, and I called up my two best friends separately and asked them the same question. I asked, have I ever been better at anything than I am at stand-up? They both very quickly said no. So I said, you know, I need to get back at it. So <laughs> I did. That was so 11, that's, that's, 12 years ago. You figured out that's where you belong. All right. Well, we okay. talked about how you got started. We talked about what you've done. I mean, at your age, I mean, what, what's in your future? I know George Carlin, he loved comedy. He made the money. He could have retired, but he loved comedy. He did it till the day he died. I mean, do you plan on doing it till the day you die? Or what, what, what's, yep. what's your plan yep. for the future? Yep. Yeah. So there's no retirement yep. I, I, for you, Eddie Higgins? No? Yeah, I ideally, I'll remain coherent and, uh, uh, You've probably done it all. Is there anything you'd like to do be in your comedy career before you pass, or just wherever the path you takes know, you? At one, at one time, doing a late night talk show would have been a thrill, yeah. but you know they, they, they just don't they don't they don't use them like they uh, used to. Right, like they used to. You know, you know when Carson was in charge, you'd have a, at least one new comic on a week. That's it, huh? Yeah. All right. 
So, well, I, I thank you for being on Funny Like Clown Podcast. I'll give you my final question, Andy. In 40 years, what's your favorite memory? If you look back and said, boy, that was my favorite time in comedy, what would it be? You know, my favorite time would have been with the, the guys at the workshop in the mid-'80s. Yeah. And I've had a lot of fun since then, a lot of high moments, like uh, America's Got uh, Talent. And just getting back into it and, and becoming a very good comic again, that's been a thrill. But that initial big push forward came at the workshop, and the guys were great. They're friends to this, this day. I love those guys. Those are your buddies, the guys you start out with, you never forget. Those are your friends. Those are the, the ones you made your bones with, right? Yep. yep. All right. So is there a website the listeners can check you out? I know you're on social media if they want to check you out, but do you have a website or anything to go to? Or? No, not really. I should be more active, but I'm not. I'm too active on Facebook. Okay. Uh, I have a Twitter account, but I don't pay any attention to it. All no right. Instagram, no TikTok, no uh, whatever else there might be out there. If it's out there, I'm not participating. All right. Uh, well, they can go there. So There's plenty of information. Yeah. If somebody wants to track me down on Facebook, I'm there. Andy Huggins. Andy Huggins. Check him out. One funny guy, 40 years in the business. One of the original Outlaw Texas comics. Thank you so much for being on the show, Andy. I wish you the best in the future. Thank you, Dennis. It was a lot of fun. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. All right, Andy Huggins right there, man, came up with the Bill Hicks, the Sam Kennisons, the, the big names, the Texas Outlaws, the Comedy Workshop. When I, I said, you know, there's only a few places in, in the history of comedy that you could really, you know, go back to and say it was a special time. The Ding Ho in Boston, a special time in comedy. The Comedy Workshop with the Texas Outlaws, special time. And obviously the Comedy Store, that's the all-time legendary player place in L.A., but... uh one of the guys, what fun it was picking his memory, man. He's seen it all, and that's what we do. We explore the history of comedy here on Planet.com Podcast, and what a privilege it was to have him on. Stay tuned, because we got another legend coming on next week, so we're doing a, a little segment of legends here, and hopefully we can get more legends on, because that's what the show is all about. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tune it in, Planet.com Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Worth, and most importantly, laughter is the best medicine. That's how you get through any problem in life, so tell somebody a joke and make them laugh, because... You know, if you're the funny guy in the room, you're the popular guy and put joy into somebody else's life. Because if you tell a good joke to someone, they're going to tell another five people. They're going to tell another 10 people. It goes on. Laughter will keep you going. Good night, folks. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 